0: This is Beers with Talos. Threats, Beers, and Welcome or welcome back. This is episode 138 of the Beers with Talos Podcast. Today is August 18th, 2023. I am your host, joining again, been a while, Mitch Neff, joined as always by Matt
1: and Lorene. How are you two doing today? This is a pure episode. It is the first one in a while. It's just the three of us, and we're all three here.
2: We are extremely pure right now. Always. There, Why wouldn't we purer,
1: be? None purer than the three of us.
0: The purity exuded by just this WebEx is is absolutely next level. I mean i've I've never encountered such. A I mean, pure... if
1: listeners are interested in the results of our purity test that we took, a la nineteen ninety nine um yeah it is posted uh for our patreon subscribers yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. the high score along. will blow your mind
2: along with the youtube video oh my god of the testing itself i totally forgot about purity tests which was extensive
0: that was that was a, a late 90s very early 2000s uh yeah. a fad there i don't i don't miss it it's mainly
1: a checklist
0: it really was. It really it was like uh the, it was just basically like never have I ever like that drinking game in yeah. like uh,
2: except you would write it down and and
1: uh,
2: implicate yourself in crimes. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, and it was a great way to uh, break up early stage relationships as well.
1: <laughs> well, better to get it out of way up front. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't handle me at my Greed. felony, they can't handle me. At my <laughs> <laughs>
2: They don't deserve you at your misdemeanor.
1: Yeah, that's the one. I got. I screwed it up. I'm sorry. All
0: right. So today we want to talk about a few different things. Well, really, kind of one one basic topic that's I think is going to go in a few different directions. Um, we we tend to talk a lot about the basics of defense, and we tend to talk a lot about uh, some very advanced or very new and novel things. Uh, and I think today's topic is gonna is gonna put us right in the middle of those two, I'm talking about. Things around, you know, once you've set up your defenses, how do you know if they're successful, or how do you know if you've failed, and and how do you make the complexity of your environment in some total an actual security asset, uh, asset rather, uh, you know, what happens in the middle to, to make all that possible? Uh, we're going to dig into that in just a minute. Uh, But first, like we usually do, we're going to go around the table and get an opening thought from everybody. And today, Lorene, you are top right, so you'll kick us off. What's on your
2: mind? Uh, Two days ago, I saw Barbie, and that shit was wild.
1: Wild! I have heard. Matt, I know you saw Barbie, too. I... Oh, I'm seating all of my round table time to this discussion this is this is an all this is it? round table okay yeah, yeah. we can do yeah. that we can do that. I am the only one in my
0: house that has not seen it. I should imagine. like my kids and my wife have all seen it. That's not because I haven't wanted to see it. I just wasn't available when everybody else went uh so i'm I'm keen to to hear the take of uh of you two and and how this went so talk to us. How did it go? What was what was shocking me? Obviously, the movie is not meant for children. It
1: doesn't have a G or PG rating. Like, Ew. not for small
2: children. I just don't think they would understand what was going on.
1: There was I. There's no reason not to take children. I can't remember any reason. There's nothing adult that inappropriate. No, there's nothing inappropriate. No at one all. is going to beach anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's anything even close to like like it could completely. It's just it. It's a, uh, it deals with really complicated like topics and doesn't shy away from them or try to, 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 to smooth them over. And so, like, it, you, you might, here's the worst thing. If you take your kids, you, you might have to have a conversation with your kids about the topics in the movie. And God, that would be awful.
2: Yeah. That's, that's the hard part.
1: If you had to actually, you know, guide your children on complex topics in today's world
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah parenting is turns out kind of a tough job
1: (laughs) but on the flip side as a parent like like sometimes you're like when do like i want to instill these values in my kids when do i take like when do like when's the right time to bring it up or insert it into the conversation like this would be a fantastic tricksy way to like trick your teenage boys into like having to have a conversation about what the other side is experiencing in the world
0: empathy kind of a hard thing to find
2: and never too early to learn what was your takeaway Lenny? hits really hard in unexpected ways so it'll be like oh we're a we're a barbie film about dolls and then it'll be like do you ever think about death all the time <laughs> Just like out of nowhere. So that's the thing. Like the, so the whiplash in the film is so extensive that it's really interesting. Keeps you on the edge of your seat. Keeps you guessing. It, it kind of like lulls you and then it hits you and then it lulls you and then it hits you. And it's, uh, it actually happens really organically. I thought it was extremely good, like way better than a movie about, uh, doll from Mattel has any right to be, I guess. So do you think they're going to make a franchise
0: out of this or do you think they're going to go through the rest of the Mattel lineup
1: and try and do the same thing? They have already said they're going to go through the rest of the Mattel lineup and try to do the same thing. Oh, who's up next? Uh, The only ones I can remember on the list Tell me G.I. Joe's getting a movie. He-Man was on it. Oh, that'll be good. But here's the problem, right? Like, it's the the very response that Mattel gives to this by like, oh, we see that Barbie was this amazing um, phenomenon for pheno- like like explosive like film in terms of performance just betrays like a complete lack of understanding as to why that film was what it was like. You can't be like, oh, people like Barbie and then they went to a Barbie film. Clearly, people like He-Man will go to a He-Man film like that's not like that is not what happened at the movie theaters. Like if you go to the theater and watch what people are doing at this film, I was trying to, I I was talking a little bit about this. um, If
0: you're expecting studio execs to get it on that front, like that's,
1: that's going to be a rough day for you, brother. This is a
2: movie that did not necessitate Barbie. Yeah. To tell its story. Barbie was an extraordinary vehicle
1: for this movie. Yeah. This movie was not an extraordinary vehicle for Barbie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I I was trying to explain to, like, someone, like, my thoughts on this, because it was clear, I went to, I took my wife, I took the day off, took my wife to the movie, and I was one of, like, eight or nine dudes in the movie theater, and I thoroughly enjoyed this film, but it was very clear that I was experiencing something different than the majority of that movie going population was experiencing. Like there were hordes of, of women who would like, they, they were all dressed in pink and they were all together and they were all taking pictures with the movie poster. Like for them, it was an event for me. It was a movie about a political topic that I resonate with, but I was not the focus of the movie. And so I was talking to, um, to Lucy about going to see this and she's like, should I go see it in the movie movie theater? I'm like, I think you should, not because it's the kind of movie that performs best in the movie theater, but from what I perceive, there is a communal piece of this uh, movie that I was not participating in, but I think is important for you as a woman to experience. Like I think it'll add to the experience of the movie. And I can't think of a movie that I've ever been to that has left me feeling like that.
2: It's a weird catharsis, and I think that... Like community aspect is really important. I think I cried twice in the Barbie movie, not because of shit that happened directly in the movie, but because they did one of those gut punches and then like my brain went, yep, those are all the implications of these gut punches and then I started crying, right? Like that's how hard they hit at certain places that people do not touch. You know? So, so we're talking about a movie
0: that just had no right to be that good. Like, you know, no, no right to hit that hard. No right to like, you're like, wow, this is a Barbie movie. And all of a sudden I'm like thinking about real things.
2: I honestly think that it, it's more like uh, every other movie that comes out nowadays is a pile of garbage.
0: Well, that's a fact. Like that's, you're going to have
2: a hard that's time. Arguing, that's, yeah. that's, I think, I think that's they've the basically been remaking the late
0: '90s or late 80s and early 90s for the last 15 years anyway. Like, so, yeah. I get it. I get it. So I don't know if I'm, I, I am mean, it's still in theaters. I don't know if I'm going to get the chance to see it in the theater, but this is definitely something I'm going to check out as soon as I able to on whatever streaming service. Uh, I don't think I'll have trouble talking to my wife into going again, though, if I really want to go see it in the theater, What's your so other than masters of the universe, is there anything else from the Mattel universe that you'd like to see them make that movie out of? It was
2: like a list of like 20 things. Gotta be my little pony in there. <laughs>
0: That could be good, too. Yeah, that could be funny. I I, I still think G.I. Joe is a socially conscious movie would be hilarious. That would be kind of funny, actually.
2: (laughs) The anti-war G.I. Joe. (laughs) You know what I want to see now is a picture of the Mattel boardroom and all of the people in it. Hmm. And I wonder how close it looks to the Mattel boardroom in the film. Interesting. That would be
0: fun. What did the Mattel boardroom look like in the film? All men. Oh, okay, bunch of bunch of middle aged white dudes was like pretty much the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea what the. I mean, I'm sure we could probably f- find a picture of a shareholder meeting or something, but I would assume so.
2: I bet. I bet it looks similar.
0: All right, uh, we do want to spend some time today talking about effectively uh, deception systems and obscurity, right? How do we make your environment different? And how do you, I don't want to say weaponize, but trap your environment? And as you said, Matt, like, how do we with an intruder? Uh, How do we have the optics where, you know, they don't think that you have them uh, and make them waste time, make them waste resources uh, to still come up with Jack Squat in the end? Uh, Lorene, I think that you actually originally. Kind of had some comments on this. I, I know Matt, you brought this topic up, so actually maybe we'll start with you. Uh, you know, where do you want to get started in terms of deception, in terms of obscurity? Uh, you know, like the systems that we build, um, or the the results that we're looking for.
1: Yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about the basics and the fundamentals, and like all that stuff, super important, but. It's not a lot of fun. And I, I I really enjoy, like, talking to customers who are being really creative in their protections. Um, and this this idea, I mean, certainly has been percolating in my brain for a while and is always kind of on top of my, my thought process, but um, definitely some recent conversations with customers who are doing some creative things um, in terms of um, trying to figure out if they've been breached um, and to like buy time to respond by making life difficult on the attacker. Um, I think we, there's a lot of, there's a lot of thoughts on this. Like, like we spend so much time with the, 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 the fundamentals and that we don't ever like a lot of companies and organizations don't ever get to the point where they, Are really working with their advantages they're just trying to get up to like to where they're allowed to play in the game um whereas when you talk to some of the folks on the higher end of the maturity spectrum they're they're doing some really complex um uh things putting together entire systems to to kind of track where actors are see what they're trying to look for get any kind of indication and head start on them from a breach response perspective and i think that that space is endlessly fascinating to me um and um i like to talk about it
0: how are you lorraine where are you coming from
2: i have a, a problem with a couple of the concepts that people think are central to security uh one of those is security through obscurity I think we're in a purely information realm, so the only way that you can enforce security is uh, through information differential. So pretty much everything is security through obscurity. We'll talk about this more, but I also wanted to go back right to the beginning when you were like, how do you know if if your perimeter is secure? How do you know if you've done a good enough job? And the answer is the same answer that a chicken farmer will give you is if you ask them if their chicken coop is secure and if they've done a good enough job, and the answer is no. <laughs> right? The the first part of maturity is recognizing that you are never done with the basics. Even if you have some space to move along and work more advanced shit, you are never done with the basics. You have never gotten them good enough.
0: Hmm. So, but how is that? I mean, you still have to measure that in some way, right? Like there still has to be some measure of bad to good, like some degree of success in, in building those systems.
2: Yeah, but there's no end state. There's only raising the cost for an attacker and that numbers go up forever. So
0: just because there's a good and a better, there doesn't, ha- that doesn't, so you can nec- measure where doesn't you necessitate are. that there is a best or an end state.
2: Yep. And there are orders of magnitude higher than where most people are, right? That are unreasonable for certain organizations and reasonable for other organizations. And those that scale is vast.
0: So then what are we supposed to do, Matt? In my view. I mean, if the job is never done, what are we supposed to do in the
1: meantime? Well, I mean, you're, you should be... Like, like Once you get past those basics and those fundamentals, you should be... Optimizing your response and giving yourself um, all the advantages you can, and then piling on disadvantages on the adversary, right? So, like, like one example that that like I had a recent discussion with an exact with, with with somebody on defense about honeypots, and they're like, "Oh, well, we want to only put honeypots in this certain." Kind of area, because we don't want intentionally insecure systems to be in our production stuff. And I'm like, well, one, honeypots are not intentionally insecure. Like that is a, I don't know what what thought process that is. <laughs> but if you're building intentionally insecure honeypots, then you're not building you're not building good honeypots. <laughs> you're building
2: building footholds.
1: Yeah. Um, but if you put it, like, then you call, like, but then the question is if you put this in a, in a special place, what is it you're trying to get out of this honeypot, right? Because, so for a vendor, a honeypot and a sinkhole actually provide different um, um benefits than they do for a defender, right? So, we use honeypots and sinkholes to understand what actors are doing and where they are going. You should be, from a defender's point of view, honeypots should be your one of your indicators that an, an intruder is present, um, or that you have something that you should be investigating. Right? It's a it is a detection piece, not not like a, an intelligence gathering piece, um, at least internally. Um, and so that's that that kind of you have to separate. I'm a I'm a new person in security, and I want to run a honeypot to learn stuff. That's not what what I'm talking about. Like this is I set up like traps inside of a network so if a if someone doesn't know their way around and they're looking for something they'll stumble on this and I will know by virtue of the fact that nobody should be connecting to this that the connection to this is the first part of the incident. And then I build this this honeypot to be as interactive as possible so I can gather information and mislead the attacker. All of that giving me time and information to do the response.
0: Yeah. So at at a base level, for anybody that is brand new to security and, and hasn't heard this before, a honeypot is effectively just a system that serves no actual business purpose, serves no legitimate purpose, but appears to, gives all appearances of being a legitimate system or something that could be valuable. But there's exactly zero reason for any legitimate traffic to ever connect to it. Uh, So if then anything does connect to it, of course that's something you can consider. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's something you can consider uh, at least interesting, if not malicious intent. um, To know that you know there's no legitimate reason for anybody to be connecting to this thing. So if they do, that's something that shouldn't be there.
2: I've got a a statement to make real quick here. If you are a person who's new to security and you are trying to use a honeypot to learn things, don't. Check this out. Uh, Attacks are not written by weird gods that live in another dimension. They're written by human beings. And if you would like to know how they work and how to stop them, rather than looking at what other human beings have built and not understanding it, you should just build them yourself. Then you'll really understand them. And then you'll know if you understand them because they'll work. Because if you just look at somebody else's, you have no idea if you got it right. And usually you're wrong. That makes sense.
0: I mean, I think it's a lot more complicated, though, than, you know, figuring it out, at least getting started. But, I mean, I can see how that definitely makes sense. I mean, if you want to understand uh, really anything, like, the best way to do it is experience it. At least for me. I mean, that's just the way I learn.
2: It's just it is just a mindset that I see constantly among people that want to learn computer defense or computer security of any kind. They're like, I'm going to go look kind of, sort of, at how other people are doing this thing instead of like, I'm going to go learn to do this thing.
0: Well, I think that's a difference between real weird. You know, what they're used for. So obviously honeypots can be learned to use to observe an attack or observe what somebody is doing or like you said Matt is a basic tripwire like if connected then problem uh but w- what other kinds of systems do we have so a honeypot is usually like uh, appears to be some kind of you know juicy server uh, uh you know active directory some kind of domain wh- whatever it is that you set it up to look like or want it, people to think that it is uh but other than honeypots like what other ways do we do deception.
1: I don't know that I have any support for this, but if, if I had my way and I were defending something, my external, my perimeter would emit zero version information on what was sitting on it. Like, like when you, when you attack to like an Apache server, it'll tell you, Oh, I'm this level of server. Like there's no, there's no reason for me to be, to be advertising that information because, what do we what do we constantly talk about? Oh, well, there's a no day out and it affects this. And oh, so they got on a show, and they're like everything that looks like this. They're going to attack. Like, don't look like that. Like, like t- make efforts not to to make it easy for you to appear on a catalog for your attacker to go after.
2: You like put yourself on a menu.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I,
0: that, that t- makes perfect sense. He's like, oh, I don't have a vault for that or worse. Oh, I do have a vault for that. That makes sense. So, yep. But what other kinds? Of, um, so we, we've we've mentioned sinkholes. We didn't really go much into sinkholes. Um, but what other what other kind of deception systems are we looking at that folks can build or do build or are, are useful?
1: I like that an idea that Lorraine kind of pitched, um, which is if you don't use certain technologies that are commonly used in exfiltration is to capture their use kind of going outbound, right? So, like, you should know what what's being used. And potentially, depending on how viable that is in your business processes, you should capture and intercept that, that um, exfiltration as well, right? So if you don't use Box, for example, right, then you should be capturing um, – outbound and redirecting outbound box stuff um to stuff that you control.
2: Note for hackers, stop using DNS when you're trying to pick you <laughs> connect to your Xfill sites.
1: Yeah, like so like there's kind of like so you have the basics and, and it has to go in this order, right? You have to have the basics. Like you have to have an inventory. You have to have an ability to patch rapidly if you need to, but you also have to have a process to decide whether you need to patch rapidly or not. And so as you come into, the, in, into that and as you build out your defenses and you have two-factor authentication you have your perimeter, you, you're constructing this environment. As you better understand that environment, then you should start your intelligence program and your response program, and they need to kind of go in parallel, right? Because your response program should inform your intelligence program. Because, like, the intelligence program, when it's not doing anything else, should definitely be going out and, like, oh, uh, Talos has a report. Mandian has a report. You know, Unifort has a report. Like, and processing those, like, does this affect me? Like, like I'm watching my key vendors. You know, CISA's has made an announcement. Like, all this kind of stuff. But what's much, much, much more important is for your intelligence group to watch how your response group is performing and how your systems are performing in defending themselves and answering questions, the response group has during the responses. The you know you go basics, response intel, and then optics. Optics is what lets you see what's happening inside your environment. At that point, you have everything in place to then start thinking about these more complex issues. Why am I a target for these attacks? What are actors doing inside our networks? Where have we failed? Where are we low on optics? Where where what is What is the crown jewels from our actors perspective? How can we make it more complicated for them to get there? How can we harden individual pieces inside of our network and make it more difficult for actors to operate in there? Watching like building response capability based on your actual responses is the most important thing you can do. Because all the information that you're interested in is to play there. It's your systems that you're acting, not a vendor system. Like this is the entire environment that I've created. How did this environment perform? And now how can I adjust this environment based on what I've learned to make it harder for actors in the future? Um, one of the, one of the, you know, ideas that came from a, a customer that we had talked to was like, you know, you don't just block um, connections internally you reroute those connections, if you would normally block them, to, like, a Honeypot or a sinkhole server to, like, see what's happening there. And, and that is, like, an excellent way to catch, you know, intruders inside your environment who aren't perfectly understanding what's going on there. As they poke around, they will connect to something that, that they shouldn't connect to. And you should be collecting that information, and that should be a trigger for, for a response.
0: So you've covered the basics. You have uh you know some type of a, a differentiated or a, you know unique environment that doesn't make things extremely simple. You've placed your threat traps in that environment. You're able to discern some information about a, an erstwhile attacker that has been trying to get in. And we get that last piece where you're talking about like having the optics uh, you know, kind of more or less like screwing with an attacker, right? so you're presenting these optics, if I understand what you're saying, where like they think they're operating freely, however, you definitely have an eye on them and are watching what's going on and responding accordingly right like you're 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 wasting their time you're sending them on a goose chase, but in that instance, once you 've gotten to this point of maturity and you're working on that you you're working on your um you know detection and intelligence, and you have these optics in place how useful and how would one apply the concept of disinformation as a defender? Like is, is there a way or is there a reason to put like the, uh, you know, providing intentionally false information that looks to be true to somebody that is attacking a system? Is that useful? Does it work? Is, are they easy to fool or are they easy to uh, do most attackers see right through that kind of thing? saying I'm this version, saying I'm here in the stack when I'm there, like whatever it is.
1: You are, you're doing a couple of things, right? And you have to understand, like when you're operating at this level, you are not saying that you can block everything. You're trying to buy yourself space and time at all times. You're trying to minimize the number of incidents you have to respond to. You're trying to minimize. So like, if I know that I can't patch something, but I can have that something emit a patch number I would absolutely do that. And I wouldn't do that with the idea that, oh, that's going to fool all the attackers and they're not going to get in. But it will fool all the automated attackers because a lot of automated attackers will be like, oh, I'm going to check the version number and then I'll send the thing. If it's vulnerable, otherwise I'll disconnect. Like, you're not, you're not, in that moment, you are not defending your system so much as defending your socks (laughs) stack. You're like, I need to I need to just it's like bug spray lower the amount. Yeah, I'm just trying to lower the amount of incidents that we have to deal with when we know we're in this vulnerable condition. Like, I don't think as long as you are not. And here's here's the here's the, the argument about security um, through obscurity. Security through obscurity has to be like, I am consciously doing this for this reason not, I can't be bothered to secure this system, so I'm just going to, like, hide it and hopefully no one will find out that I'm lying. Like, that's not what you're no, doing. never. <laughs> you're buying time and space, right? You're you're looping off to the side of the ice uh, with the puck and you're just trying to buy a little time to find find what you need to do to move forward. Or
2: you're trying to get one day earlier notification of the fact that you're right? Like, anything that you can do to get someone to make a noise when they're in, that's good right and the less uh danger you can put yourself in to do mm. that the better off you are but yeah it's it's like you're raising the cost again right so you've you've priced out a bunch of attackers when you've done that right you haven't priced out everybody but you've priced out like the lower end of the market and that's the largest share
1: well and in this case maybe maybe you're not raising the cost for the attacker but you're lowering the cost for the defender right you're, you're, like, you're trying to, to, to get you a few more cycles to concentrate on stuff that's truly an issue um, while, you, while you wait for the time that you're allocated to do the patch in, in, the, in the example that we're doing. Like, you should either raise costs or lower costs for you. Lower costs for you like, is, is not like monetary costs, but like time costs. Like, it is, the thing that's critical from a resource perspective during a response is time not money mm-hmm. right um, there are definitely costs during a response like your IR firm or whatever but like it is time that you were in a fight with like you were trying to beat the actor to the encryption or you're trying to beat the actor to the exfiltration or you're trying to beat the actor to the destructive act and so anything you can do to find the actor earlier is buying you time it can buy you weeks or months right but yeah. the thing about doing that is, you have to know the network and the environment so precisely that you can sense when things are wrong, right? And that is, that is time in the seat and that is a whole lot of effort to get, maybe optics is the wrong word, but the visibility on into the environment so that you can pick up the signals that are emitted when something isn't quite right. It's, the, the this goes back to what I had said that I say occasionally is nobody wants to admit that security is really, really hard. It is super, 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 super hard. It is really hard. Like the things that we are asking defenders to do and the resources we are giving them is, is, is an idiotic ask. Um, almost every defender out there will complain of being under resourced to be a time or money or tooling. And so what I'm saying is once you get the CISSP checklist out of the way, There is an entire new world of defense that a lot of people don't get to if you're not like in the financial sector where you're going to see some of these really creative pieces um, or, or a critical infrastructure sector or a defense sector. Like that is where you have to have like just rock solid understanding of the environment, a complete set of visibility and a really devious nature to make life difficult for the attacker.
0: Now is that and I'm I'm gonna make a point here, so it's gonna take me a second to get there. You you mentioned the finance sector and, and defense and government. Um it seems from this conversation has been building to a point of like it there comes a point where your technological solutions are at a good spot. Like you've you've gotten to some level of technological maturity, and at that point defense comes becomes an economic play, like playing the economies of time and money and resources from defenders versus attackers, which is an extremely lopsided equation. I mean, we don't need to jump into that. I mean, attackers can be a single person that only has to win once against a massive blue team that has to play for a tie every single time. Um, But at some point, there's this changeover from a focus on uh, technological improvement to economic improvement, uh, improving the economies of scale inside your organization or, and how you're dispersing them. Is, is that, I mean, is, is, is you mentioned the financial sector? I'm, I'm curious if that's a deeper understanding of how to use or how to, I don't want to, how to weaponize the economics of the industry, or is that just because they are so damn targeted, they're forced to become more mature and go down that path. Security teams
1: in the financial sector are extremely well resourced, like uh, extremely
0: well know, practiced as I, well. You know,
1: I mean, we, I mean, that's where the money is. Money gets protected, like that's
2: that's the only thing that matters. Obvious. It turns out,
1: <laughs> and so like that is where, you know, that is where all of the resourcing is for like like that, and certainly def- certain certain defense setups, um. Am I looking at that the right way, like in terms of
0: this Um, eventually there being some kind of a a deflection point from searching and improving uh, technological solutions versus economic solutions to these problems?
1: The book will only take you so far. I think is what I'm trying to say. Right. The book will take you to I'm not going to get fired. Right. I, I did everything that that. I learned at the sans class, you know, I, I clicked all the buttons just like the configuration guide told me to off the vendor site. Um, I've patched all the vulnerabilities that that I was told are vulnerable. You do all that in today's world, you're probably actually a little ahead of the game.
2: <laughs> a little.
1: <laughs> and and what I'm what I'm trying to say is there is an entire world of security beyond that 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 is that certain places play in, and a lot of places don't. And, and it sort of defines, and this is not a judge. Like if you're in a plate, like this isn't a decision that you as a security person makes. So this isn't a slam on you. If you are like a firewall admin at a small company, you're only getting the resourcing you're getting. Right. So this isn't like, you know, saying that you're not doing a good job or that you're not as, you know, a good security person, somebody else. But there are people who get to operate at this level because they're working at organizations who have chosen to invest to operate at this level. Um, and, and I think we should talk more about what happens at level just so that filters down somewhat. That there are crazy decisions you can make about changing how a system exhibits itself that do not make you secure, but they make you less targeted. And that is valuable because it buys you time. Or just because your boss freaks out when you say honeypot doesn't mean that it's a bad idea, but you really have to think about why am I deploying this honeypot? And how am I gonna make it attractive? And what am I gonna do when something connects to it? What am I learning? Or sitting in a, in a tabletop meeting and understanding that if questions are being asked that you can't answer, that's the most important thing to take away from that tabletop meeting. If you don't have the technical eyes to see what you need to to discuss what's happening during tabletop, you're not going to during a response. And that's investments that need to be filtered up. Like every every hack is like a test of the system that you're putting together. And like you can play, you know, you know, and none of it's on none of it's easy mode, but you can play in the basic way. Or you play in the advanced way, and if you are fortunate enough to work in an environment where you're able to play in the advanced way, you feel much more in control of what's going on. You still get beat, but you find out you're beat faster and you evict faster. And then there's a proper cycle of the in- things that you learn about that to improve your environment. All and and this is all builds up on top of like like this is. This is a multi-year endeavor to even get to the point where you can consider some of this stuff, which is why this is security is an extremely hard game, but it is an extremely deep game. And I think that it's fun to plumb the depths and look at what some of the deeper stuff is.
2: I see Lorraine thinking. This is one side of security through obscurity. We might have to do a second security through obscurity podcast so I can talk about the other side of it. Uh, like from from the attacker point of view and why I feel as an attacker that it is useful as a defender to have security through obscurity,
0: Why is it? I mean, can you put that in a nutshell. Like why is it useful for defenders to do that if you are on that side? if you're if you're trying to get in, like how is it throwing you?
2: It is useful to an attacker to understand what's going on, right? Like if I am going to break into something. I have to have perfect knowledge beforehand of what it looks like, because what I'm going to do is I'm not going to walk over there with a pickaxe. I'm going to send a robot that I designed to go do it. The robot's real fucking specific, right? So I have to understand everything about the situation before I send the robot in there to break in. And if you have something in your situation that looks like the normal way it's done and it is not done in the normal way, my robot will fall over right? And what this also means is that anything that you can buy, the attacker can also buy, right? And its prevalence makes it table stakes after a certain point. So like Windows Defender could be the best AV in the world. It's never going to find Oday because one of the requirements for something to be an Oday is that it can get past Defender, right? That's table stakes. Otherwise, why would I put it out into the wild if it doesn't work in my house? Right. So, so if everyone's got the same thing, even if that thing is good, every attack you find is going to beat that thing because it has to or else it's not an attack. Right. So doing some weird shit is often like the only thing that you can do against an extremely high level attacker. Right. They can't see it coming. If they could have purchased it, they could see it coming. They can find out that your company name is on the website because you purchased it for less because they put your logo up there, right? Okay. Now, if I'm doing recon on you, I've got your whole network set up, right? I'll just go look for your logo across the internet, buy all those things, test them all, right? So doing some weird shit is often pretty smart. If you understand what you're doing, as opposed to just doing some weird shit for the, for, mm, for the, I
0: think that's probably the key. Yeah, though, it? no, no.
2: Yeah. There's a, the, the main level here is that you have to actually understand what the attacker is going to do in order to do some weird shit. That's actually relevant. I've seen a lot of people do some weird shit that's not relevant as, as an attacker. And that is always hilarious because they put a lot of effort into their weird shit that you're, you just like walk by and you look at and you're like, Oh, that's funny. Wonder what they did that for. <laughs> uh so Matt,
0: um let's uh, say I work at a company. Like we're getting to the end of the book, right? Like we're getting to the end of the textbook in terms of we've been working on our maturity model. We've we've got a lot of the uh you know, bits and pieces hanging off the system now. We're we're doing multi factor. Uh we have some we, ha- we have all the boxes we're supposed to have for for endpoint and for DNS and for all the other things that that guy from the vendor said are going to keep me 100% secure. Uh where do I go from there? Like how how do I get started down this next journey? Like that that point of deflection in in the path. Like how do we leave textbook realm and and go into security?
1: Get beat. <laughs> like Get yourself, get yourself like a really good, right? <laughs> Pick team a fight with them, a bigger dude. Yep. Just have them beat the f- out of you. Right. And then get angry um, and, and, and learn like how you're getting beat. And then part of that is then hold your vendors accountable. Like, but that's like a, that's a CSA's job. That's like a, like a, like a director's job. But then like from a technical side, how could you have found them? Like as they go through, what visibility are you missing? Like, or are you over, like, like are you, are you over visible? Like, are, you, are you getting so much stuff in your logs that you can't see mm. what's happening? Right. Like fatigue, really yeah. take every, every, every beat, whether it's supplied by a red team or by a true adversary and be like, how do we get beat first? Then how do we not detect them second? And then did we respond fast enough? Like, each of those pieces have to be true. So, like, how do we get beat? Like, you could be tempted to be like, oh, we were a day late on that Citrix patch and we, you know, we got beat. So, we'll patch it and then we're like, good. We're like, well, no, why were you a day late on, you know, a public-facing internet thing um, that was known? Like, if it's no day, you get a pass. But, like, if it's patchable, did you make the right decision in your change management, right? Did you correctly balance business versus security needs? Did you truly understand how how this was being used or how, how how it might affect you? Did you know that you were vulnerable to it before it happened? Like did you even did you properly assess this? Um or did it just not come up yet through your intelligence process of, oh hey, there's a Citrix phone out there uh, we need to patch and then like, oh we'll schedule it for Tuesday's meeting and then we'll figure out if we can patch it or not. You know, did you have did you know about it and you wanted and you fought to patch it and you couldn't? Like what what mitigations could you have put in place to protect that box? You know, is there an IDS you could have configured in some way, a WAP? Is there, you know, some way that you could have protected that box otherwise? Um, Did you properly communicate up like every one of these pieces you need to think about in a, in a self-deprecating, humble sort of way where you shoulder the blame for the failures and look for ways to fix it in the broadest way possible kind of going forward. Right, and so you should always hold your vendors accountable, but like ultimately, it's your job to defend your environment. How can you warp the environment to your to your advantage? Mm. How about you, Lorraine? Before we go around the table,
0: how is a team supposed to get started down this path after they've figured out their one on one? And I, I
2: really like that. Get beat. Other answer. than agreeing with get beat, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so was... uh, <laughs> There's a parallel to this. Um, as as the person who delivers the
1: beating, she encourages you to get beaten. <laughs> well,
2: what I was going to say is uh, back when when fuzzing was new, uh, Dave Itell had a pretty decent fuzzer. And the way that he would work on it is you run your fuzzer. Was, somebody comes out with a bug in something. You run your fuzzer against that something. If it doesn't find the bug, you change your fuzzer until it also finds the bug. Repeat. And you just keep doing this, Right building it up and building it up learning these edge cases solving them right so so getting beat is not uh, you could you can generalize it from getting beat to existing in the space that you're going to need to exist in when you're really fighting right so like get into that space and dig into it as deeply as you can so you are as comfortable with it as possible and you see it the way they will see it and you understand how to break into your network because no matter how well you do, there are going to be places that you can still break into if you understand your network perfectly, right? Like there, you can see where it's going to happen if you understand it well enough and you understand what their goals are, right? There are only two or three solutions that are really good to a problem like that. And if you're aware of what those two or three solutions are, you know where to keep your eyeballs, right? Uh,
0: so great conversation uh, today, guys. Uh, before we close it down, I do wanna, I wanna go back around the table, get our closing thoughts and parting shots, uh, whether we wanna give a last shot on, on this topic or Barbie or whatever other random thing we want. Uh, We'll do it the same way that we started. So, Lorene, that puts you up first.
2: I was reading yesterday about the uh, chess controversy about oh, I saw this. Uh, <laughs> trans women playing women's chess, and uh, I more than ever I'd really like to just like move to a mountaintop with no internet access.
0: I thought that didn't make sense. Until like I was like, well, we're talking about like a purely mental game, right? So I don't see, and like the one comment was made: uh, they have women's chess, so more women will play the game, will get involved in the game.
2: Yeah. It makes uh-huh. yeah yes. I yeah, totally understand this. But then, totally understand that, and I don't know how
0: true this is, so I'm I'm even reluctant to say it. But I have heard that checkers, which was came after chess. Uh was actually invented for women who were obviously too mentally frail to understand the intricate game of chess. So they came up with checkers and that was originally referred to as ladies chess.
2: That's awesome. I love that for us yeah. as a yeah. group of not really <laughs> evolved monkeys.
0: Uh... Yeah, I, I don't know how true that is, but I, I I do need to look more more into the 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 history of of the game of checkers, at least Western style checkers, but. Uh yeah what what i would
2: say to the i guess women
0: weren't allowed to play chess initially is where yeah yeah
2: yeah and culturally there are fewer women that play so the Mm -hmm. level of play is lesser and also they're pushed out of spaces where people play together which is how people get better is to have a large community for things like that so there are a lot of cultural reasons that this is the case uh but what i would say is uh if you let the three five ten trans women who would like to play chess in the women's league play in the women's league number one the odds are they're not going to get in those top three right unless they had a really good community previously in which case they're probably going to continue playing with that community and not switching over for no reason and uh perhaps we should work on the community thing i guess what chess.com probably works a fair bit bit against that sort of problem right because you can be anonymous there and join a community and play i don't actually know but those are not arguments for trans people not competing basically is all i'm saying it is like uh yeah we have an opportunity to with a group of people uh and we have the power to do it so we will it's basically where they're at
0: yeah it it legitimately made zero sense to me. Like, I, I'm not even sure why there's a men's and women's division other than, I mean, the argument that it makes it more attractive, gives women a place to play. Uh,
2: those are but, those are great arguments, but uh, they're not arguments for gatekeeping.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't understand what difference it makes. Like, I mean, if there's a, in, in different physical competitions, I can see how you could make an argument that it wouldn't be fair for, you know, X versus Y versus whatever. But there's like sitting in a chair and using your brain is not a physically limiting or, you know, there, there's no performance enhancing drugs. You know, nobody's shooting up roids and getting better at chess, right?
2: No, just it's just pro vigil.
0: The performance enhancing drug is shit tons of Adderall. <laughs> like that's
2: that's pro vigil.
0: <laughs> yeah. The uh, But no, I, I, I absolutely did not understand that either. Like, that made no sense and, to me.
2: But the the conversations that occurred around it, even worse than the original thing.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Because sure. people who don't give a shit about the integrity of chess suddenly have an interest in this fight that has nothing to do with chess.
0: Or <laughs> suddenly, suddenly professionals on the history and honor of the game and how this is the worst thing to happen to it yet. I mean, never mind like the cheating scandals that have, you know, rocked the chess world like over the years almost with regularity, but this is the one that is going to do it in, I guess, huh. Matt, parting shot, closing thought.
1: Um, I want to revisit something we had said about picking a fight with the biggest guy. Don't don't do that.
0: <laughs> um, um. <laughs> Change my
1: mind, you're not ready yet we need some well, scrimmages for Here's the deal, right? Like when here's what's going to happen. You're going to think you're ready and I assure you you are not. Like unless you work routinely with talented attackers, you you will overestimate your preparedness for engaging in that fight. So what what I would advise you to do is start with with a like like attackers red teamers can can emulate a variety of attackers um and 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 we find red teamers in our hunting stuff all the time because they are very noisy because they can be for the most part right because in, in the cost of them getting caught isn't high um they're doing their job start start at that level like pick you know have them be noisy Have them like just test your your assumptions about the the quality of your environment and your policies and your procedures and your responses and everything else. Check all that stuff before you go out and buy yourself a, you know, kick me in the dick level um, of a pen test. Uh, And and, you know, when you're ready, then go there. But like it is infinitely more valuable for your red team to be just a few yards in front of you instead of miles in front of you. Because when it's miles in front of you, you're gonna feel like like there's no hope, and that's not the case, right? There there is hope, but like it's not fun to move in yard increments. But that is the most way that is the most effective way to move forward. So I, I kind of yeah,
2: fight the next biggest yeah, guy, yeah. not the biggest guy, the one that's just slightly yeah, better than you.
1: Absolutely,
0: the next biggest
2: in everything, basically, right? Like that's that's the advice for everything. Always fight someone slightly better than you.
0: Oh yeah. I mean I don't care I don't care what you're doing if it, if it's if it's cybersecurity if it's chess if it's any sport anything you want to improve your skill level uh if you're winning every game you're playing the wrong people right like if if you're if you're dominating you're not at the right level of competition
2: so you're certainly not getting better right
0: you're not improving if you're dominating 9 times out of 10 uh my closing Closing thought today is, is I need to figure out like more summertime indoor things to do. Uh, it's come to my attention the last couple weekends that, that fishing in Florida this time of year is pretty much a fool's errand. Like it's just too hot. And uh, so I, I, I guess I'm marooned inside until, you know, sometime in the middle of September when it starts to cool off a little bit.
1: Kick your kid off the computer, go by Baldur's Gate 3 boulders should, gate three yeah that should get you about 80 hours of fantasy dungeons and dragons level play okay i'm gonna check your recommendation
0: my my wife is uh her company is having their 15th anniversary party this afternoon uh this evening uh-huh. i'm going to that and love all the people she works with they are amazing folks Also, the biggest nerds. Like, I mean, this is just over a fifty-person company, and I think their Dungeons and Dragons night is right around thirty people.
1: Yeah, no, this will be. You, you would, you would have heard about this anyway. It is the absolute talk of gaming right now. Um, It is one of the top performing Steam titles ever. Okay, Um, it's very well regarded. Very well regarded. Has caused. It is so good that other developers have come out and been like hey don't expect everything to be this good like kind of like takes where people are like listen you little shit <laughs> you <spend, laughs> your game is 70 dollars and doesn't work out of the box how about you just try to get a little better yeah
0: yeah yeah no we know it's possible again so guess what hey you guys remember back when you used to got when you used to buy like completed games that was awesome
2: yeah I- Still buy them sometimes. They're they're on the shelf. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: apparently everything I bought recently is obviously a beta.
1: The CEO of Baldur's Gate Three says they haven't even begun to work on any DLC. The game is delivered complete.
0: There we go. That's why I like. There's to probably hear. enough game there. No, no like
1: he's really hear. done a complete beatdown of every bad thing in the industry. It's not great.
0: Nice, nice.
1: Uh, well, before we go for the day, I
0: have one last thing to leave everybody with, and that is on our next episode, we're going to have a, a special guest, a familiar voice. Should we, should we leave it to be a surprise, or should we uh, go ahead and, and, and let them know who's going to join us next time?
1: If you're interested in the state of English Premier League football, you're going to very much appreciate next week's guest, and either you get it or you don't. Hmm. In it. <laughs> In <Isn't> it. <laughs> yeah, that dude Our guest Big. is
2: Winston Churchill.
0: <laughs> so join us next time for our, 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 our special guest and a, and, a, and a friend that we think that you will all enjoy hearing (laughs) so until next time stay safe stay secure and we'll see you then cheers